Good morning, DJ and PK. It's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. Welcome in on a Monday morning. College football is here. Okay, not till Thursday night, Utah and BYU. But it's game week. We have a game week. And we actually had two games this weekend. Miami and Florida, that game was messed up. And Hawaii and Arizona, not perfect, but entertaining. Hawaii beats Arizona. Pac-12's off to a rousing start. Good news to the Pac-12. Yeah, you lost to a Mountain West team on the road. But more importantly, you don't get judged by how good your ninth or 10th best team is. So you got that going for you, Pac-12, because Arizona looks like the bottom half of the league and, quite frankly, not very close to the middle. Hawaii shredded them. Shredded them. I mean, the yardage was just obscene. I think it was like 600 yards. Not quite, a little off, but you get the point. They're just way too many yards, 45 points. They went up and down on the field. They hadn't had a bunch of turnovers. You couldn't make them punt. And it was either, it was either a touchdown or a turnover. That was, there was one field goal mixed in. It was ridiculous. Anyway, that aside, hey, maybe it means Hawaii's really good over there in the, uh, on the uh, Western Division of the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, we'll have to see how it plays out. Utah State's not playing Hawaii. They're off the schedule, so it takes a little of the pressure off there. All right, so there were a couple football stories to pass along this weekend. One of the big ones, I tweeted this out. Game day. <laughs> Lee Corso not only picked the Utes to go to the college football playoff, he picked them as a three-seed over Ohio State, the four-seed, and he left the Big 12 out, and he left Notre Dame out too. And he picked... The third seeded used to beat Sangatsi to Clemson and play Alabama in the final. Okay, hold on. Just, I need a moment. That is a level of hype I have not seen this year. That is spectacular. I had seen the youths pick to the playoff. I hadn't seen pick to the title game. <laughs> Lee Corso. Lee, what are you doing? What are you doing? I'm holding, I'm holding steady on this. I see the Utes at 10 and 2. They've had a ton of problems with Washington. They've had a ton of problems with Washington State. I think one of those teams gets them. And then they lose one somewhere. I don't know if Arizona State continues whatever witchcraft mastery they have. They've won six out of eight. I don't know if the Utes, who are 0-4 at the Coliseum, lose to USC. I don't know if Cal, with half a good football team, uh, wins a 12-10 game like they beat Washington, the Pac-12 champ last year, 12-10. They played a 7-6 bowl game. Maybe it's that. You know, two great defenses, and they win a low-scoring game. Or, or maybe Cal discovers a little offense. I don't know. I don't know where it is. Maybe the Utes will lose to Washington and Washington State. It doesn't make sense. Maybe BYU will finally end the streak. But I got the Utes at 10-2. and two. I can't go beyond that. And if you go to 10-2, and two, I don't have you in the Rose Bowl. Now, if the Utes go 10-2, they're in the Pac-12 title game. And that could get you to the Rose Bowl. I don't know who they're going to play. I don't know who's going to be healthy when they get there. Uh, I didn't mind Oregon-Washington at the top of the league. I don't think you should overlook Washington State. Or Stanford. It seems like there's a lot of teams that can win the Pac-12 North. It seems very competitive over there. But for the Utes, that'd be in the Pac-12 title game. We'll see who they get when they get there. But the playoffs, man, I just—it's a bridge too far. I just—I've seen their offense struggle for so long. I feel a little bit about their offense the way I feel about the Utah BYU game. Why do I think Utah's going to be BYU? Because they beat them eight times in a row. It keeps happening. Why do I think the Utah passing game is going to be spotty? You know, a big play here or there and some games where they're nice, especially against bad teams. But when the chips are down against the top half of the league, are they going to be able to win a shootout 42-40? to 40? 
scoring, not scoring 40 points in a blowout, but scoring 40 points under pressure when they're trading, trading touchdowns, are, are they going to be able to drive the length of the field against the clock, against an opponent who holds a four-point lead, put the ball in the end zone? I want you to watch Talking Sports. I want you to listen to this show. I want to suck up to you. But, man, I just can't lie to you. Why do I think they're going to do that? I don't. I haven't seen it. It's the same reason I think Utah is going to be by BYU. I haven't seen the Cougars beat Utah in a long time. Stick with what you know. But it did surprise me. Um, If I had known Lee Corsa was going to do that, I would have gotten up to watch. (laughs) It is that simple. If I had known he was going to do that, and I didn't. I saw it on social media. Right, I didn't miss it by much. Uh, I think it happened right before I saw it. It was pretty fresh on social media when I got to it. That was surprising, though. The other big news of the weekend was also surprising. And I saw it on social media also. I saw it on Twitter. I was actually in the press box before the RSL game. And I didn't want to tweet it out right away. I thought, oh, this this is crazy. I don't. And then I started scrolling through my timeline. I saw a second report. I saw a third report, all from mainstream, mainline websites. You know, SI.com, CBSSports.com, that kind of stuff. Everybody's on it. Andrew Luck was retiring. Who retires at 29? I mean, okay, Jim Brown, my dad's generation. I never saw him play. Dad did. Great running back. But who retires early? Barry Sanders. Um, But it just doesn't happen that often. And running back, you take a lot of punishment. A quarterback takes punishment. I mean, there's no doubt about it. uh, But just not as much. And so Andrew Luck's hanging it up. And I saw on social media Sunday, Doug Gottlieb, who – He's done a lot of college basketball stuff and now has an all-purpose show. He's been on CBS. Well, I think he was on ESPN and CBS, and now I think he's on Fox. And Troy Eggman went after him. Went after him. Because Gottlieb was saying it was the most millennial thing ever for uh, Luck to quit. And Troy's like, uh, what do you know? You don't know what he's feeling and all that. I got to say in this one, Troy makes sense. You know, you don't know someone else's level of pain. You don't know what it feels like. Having had ACL surgery and it, you know, took a year to get back. You know, it's they're better with medicine now. Maybe Britton Covey will be able to play seven and a half months after his ACL. We'll have to see how that goes. Um, but to have that knee wobble into you and all of a sudden have this uncertainty. I've always been able to count on you, knee. What are you doing? And he's had multiple injuries. Now the interesting thing is earlier this summer he was telling us, ah, it's just a calf strain. It'll be fine. But it seems to always be something, and it's worn him down. And the Colts, I thought, interestingly, let him keep his bonus because with him retiring suddenly, they could have taken back, it was like over $20 bucks. they could have taken back uh, some of his signing bonus, and they decided not to do it. And I got to say, there was a part of me thinking, all right, he's setting him up to, okay, let him take a season off, maybe we can get him back next year. You know, a full season, and maybe he'll get healthy enough, miss the game, miss the camaraderie, want to be out there, and... Uh, and he'll come back to us in a year. I don't know that they're thinking that. I got zero sources. I don't know anybody in Indianapolis. But that was a lot of money for the Colts to let go. You know, even you know, you don't get to be a billionaire by giving money away. They could have recouped twenty four point eight million dollars out of his signing bonus, which was thirty two million. I guess he could have owed uh, twelve and a half million there. Um, and then another $12 million in roster bonuses that they paid him in March. So it would have been a total of 24.8. And they just let him keep it. Wow. That's, that's a lot of money. I mean, if you're a billionaire, $25 million is still a lot of money. Now, you know, if you own an NFL team, you're a multi-billionaire. 
So maybe $25 million isn't a lot of money, but it still strikes me as a lot of money. So Andrew Luck's all done. It just goes to prove you never know. You just never know. You think you know, but you just don't know. And he came out of Stanford, number one. They moved Peyton Manning. He got him to the playoffs. He won some big playoff games, but they didn't get to a Super Bowl. And now, prematurely, he's done. You know, it's uh, it's weird, but, you know, welcome to sports. I don't know what else to say. Welcome to sports. Crazy deal. When I saw that, I just really didn't believe it at first. And there it is. All right, DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.8 in the zone. We're going to take a break. When we come back, the Cougars and the Utes. Get you ready for Thursday night's games. Uh, we're going to uh, we're going to talk every week with the former Ute and a former Cougar, kind of get the player perspective and uh, see what they think. So Brian Keel representing BYU, and then for the uh, Utes, Kyle Gunther. We're going to let you listen to their conversations. Brian's coming up next. Stay with us, DJ and PK. It's ninety-seven five and twelve eighty the zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, is joining us now on the Sprint Special Guest Line. Lease any handset and get an iPad for ninety nine ninety nine. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Brian, good morning. Good morning. How y'all doing? We are doing well. The football season is approaching, and I'm curious. Every year you get fired up for the opener. You've had all the two-a-days, all the long practices. You're always going against your teammates. You want a real game with fans cheering. Can it be any bigger if it's a rivalry game? Would you get any more worked up? Or are guys already completely amped because it's the opener? How to prepare because it's like this is the big one right right out the gate with week one. I mean, I, I like it. I'm excited. I'd rather play last game of the season in November. But, you know, hey, let's just figure out where we're going to be week one and then go from there. It's going to be fun. So how's your putting, Brian? I saw you over the summer with your young family at River Oaks practicing on the putting green. You dropping them? I, I dropped the I dropped the on the last hole I dropped a long putt to win it for my team yesterday and it was pretty good so practice, practice pays off remember I, that little kid I also saw you at the Sandy Days Draper Parade did you enjoy that <laughs> that was duty call uh, my father in law is running for for city council out there in Draper and so uh, we went through the parade and yeah that was that was definitely duty called <laughs> was to do for family it was for me too my 14 year old was in the band so I had to sit out there and sweat also so you weren't alone in that it was way. hot it was hot wasn't it <laughs> yes it was <laughs> so but but back to football 
the, the one thing I discovered years ago when I was working for the Tribune and covering BYU when they were going through the Croton years is that the alumni, man, they just were coming out of the woodworks and how furious they were about the state of the program. And the, the program's in a much better spot now, so I don't expect the same type of angst. But from an alumni perspective, how much does this streak get under your skin? Oh, uh, it's, it's, it's got to the point where it's, it's everything. Um, you know, for, for a lot of years, I heard fans make comments to the effect of, well, all I care is if we beat Utah. I don't care about anything else. And it drove me nuts. And as crazy as it is that I never thought I would get to that point, I've gotten to that point. I don't, I don't care about anything else. Like, it just that, that's all I care about for this season. I don't care any other game on the schedule. This game, week one, is the one that I care about. I'm so sick of losing to those guys for so many years. It's all, it's all I care about. You know, there's a part of me that says it's not a fair fight anymore. I know what it was in the 90s. I know what it was in the 2000s. There were awesome games. It was really back and forth. It was great. But the, the Pac-12, the way the Power Fives get the money and the exposure and the branding, it's not a fair fight. Do you buy that at all? Um, so, uh, so you, what you just said has has credence. Like Utah has distanced themselves in, in themselves in so many in so many areas, um, and by so many metrics, and that's 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 not disputable. Um, they have, and obviously they you know they have an eight game winning streak against us, and it, 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 it's easy to think. Well, I saw someone. On Twitter, I was on Twitter last night. Someone made the comment of "it's never going to be close again," you know, blah blah blah. And it's like it's just—it's kind of comical because it's like, well, how soon people forget? You know, BYU had 20 years, that, you know, not 10, 20 years where it wasn't a contest. And you know, in the middle of that run, it, it would have been easy for to, to think, "Oh, well, Utah's never going to be competitive." You know, anyway, my, my point is. College football, the landscape, the scenery, things change so quickly. And, you know, 15 years ago, TCU and, and BYU, they weren't anywhere close to where they are and where they're positioned right now this minute. Things can happen. Things can happen. Things can change. And who, who knows what the future holds. Um, I love the rivalry, and I hope that – I want it to stay. I want it to be competitive. And, and you know, hopefully – well, we lost him right there. Follow-up to that, PK. I'm of two minds here because I really do think the Power Five has pulled away. They, they've been getting all the money and all the best TV slots for 10 years and the branding, and, and it really has given an advantage. But I do look at BYU and I see a team that in the independent era is, is 0-7 against the Utes because the, the first game in the streak was still a Mountain West game. They're 0-7 in the independent era against the Utes. But they're five and six against the other power fives. So there is a way to beat power fives. And I guess some of the power fives are, you know, it was a three and nine Arizona team that wasn't a good team. Um, but the Wisconsin team last year was seven and five. So how come they can't beat a seven and five Utah team? I guess that's the thing that I, I struggle with here. It's like, how good a shot do they really have in this? Brian Keel back with us now. Brian, when you. So I, go ahead. Go ahead. No, you finish, no your state, you finish your statement, oh, Brian. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing, too, is, is if you look, I, I saw a graphic on, on Twitter last night at all the scores in the rivalry since 2010. Outside of the blowout in 2011, every game 
is within a score, which which you know if you if you know football, that's that means it's one play. Every game is within one play. Um, so even though Utah has won eight in a row, it, you know you got to look at the games. You got to look at how the games unfolded. And um, you know we play with an uh, an oblong football. It's not round. It's oblong. It bounces weird. And as chance would have it, the ball has been bouncing Utah's way. I'm not taking you know I'm not taking anything away from them. They've won those games, but the ball the balls bounce their way. You know you you get a field goal. A field goal hits the uprights. You know it, it, it go, it's a foot to the right. It's in a foot to the left. It, it's a total miss. It, the point is, is, it has been competitive, even though even though that they've won eight in a row, it has been competitive. How much can BYU use this streak emotionally to its advantage, or is that overblown? Yeah, I think it's kind of an individual by you know case by case scenario. I, I can only speak for myself. If if I was on the team, I, I mean, there's different phrases: a chip on your shoulder, what, however you want to call it. I, I'd be pissed off. If I was on that team, and and you look, there's there's a lot of good players that have gone through our program over the last several years without a win against Utah. That kind of that kind of thing right there, that I would I would just that rubs me the wrong way. That would piss me off, and you know I would spend my whole off season motivated and and working to, to this eventuality to get a W against those guys. Brian Keel joining us here, former BYU linebacker. So we've been discussing if BYU gets the win and pulls the upset, they're four-and-a-half-point underdogs, it's a mild upset, but it's an upset. If they pull the upset, why do they do it? And I threw out there, well, Utah's got a lot of changes along the O-line. The BYU front seven whips up on the O-line and uh, makes those couple of big plays you're talking about that, that can flip a close game. Do you buy that, or do you see another place where BYU would have an advantage and could, uh, could pull the upset? Yeah, I think <clears throat> so. The thing, the thing that Utah, that, that they've always had the edge against BYU – it's two things, in my opinion. It's turnovers. They have they have always against us. They've won the turnover battle and capitalized. So it's not just that's the thing. Getting a turnover is one thing, but you have to capitalize off of those turnovers. So you know, if you take that game up at Rice Eccles a few years ago that we lost on the last play of the game, I think the score is twenty to nineteen, and I don't remember the exact number, but BYU had something like, what was it, six turnovers in that game? I don't remember what the exact number was, but they, they didn't do anything with them. They didn't score any points off those turnovers. So Utah has, over the decade, has done a great job of getting torn turnovers and capitalizing off of them. So that's the key. BYU's got to flip that, get more turnovers, and actually use them, score off of them. And then special teams um, has been an advantage. That's been a win for Utah. A consistent win, hunting, and you know the place kicker. So I think those are two areas that we have to not get dominated. They've dominated us in those areas. In order for us to win, that's got to be competitive or a win for us. What do you think of this quarterback, Zach Wilson, for BYU? I think that he's a star in the making. How do you think it? Hundred percent. I've never, <clears throat> I've never personally watched freshmen come in with the poise that he's had, it, it, you know, locally around here, you know, obviously you look at Clemson, you look at the kid they have, you know, there's other big schools that have had kids come in and do it. But here, here, here in the West, here locally, I've never seen a kid with that much 
that much ability and poise as a true freshman. And people don't – I mean, look at, look at John Beck, who I played with, second round, almost a first round, but early second round draft pick. Fantastic talent, fantastic arm, highly recruit. And look at how he struggled when, when he got thrown into action as a freshman. And, and you could go on and on, you know, the, BYU, the great BYU quarterbacks. That it, the point is, you come in as a freshman, it's hard. It's hard at any position, but especially quarterback. And what he did last year was just phenomenal. I 100% agree with you. I think he's a star in the making. And I think for us to, to have success, we get back to the BYU of old. We got the kid who can do it and just put the ball in his hands and let, it, let him go do it. Brian Keel joining us here, former Cougar linebacker. So Tyson uh, Williams comes in from South Carolina. Uh, what have you heard? What does the ex-player network say? How good is he? How much should be people be hyped? And how much should they be careful of buying the hype? So I, I like I like what I've heard. I haven't been to a practice, so I haven't seen him personally. But I, uh, I I met him actually the day the day he got here. I was at a little function and I met him. Big kid, nice kid. Um, you know, impressive looking, and I've heard that he's fast, which is which is helpful. And um, so, yeah, that would that would be great to, for us. You know, what really helped us a couple of years ago is when we had Jamal Williams having a consistent running back. That would be fantastic for us. You've been in a lot of situations in the NFL and in college where you played a team that might be considered a little bit better than you. How much does preparation go into it to be able to overcome a team that's a little bit better than you? Yeah, so when they have the advantage, especially if they have the advantage, you know, talent-wise, which Utah does, um, and, you know, athleticism, athlete, really talent and athleticism are separate. I think, um, I think talent-wise, it's, it's closer than it is athleticism-wise. I think Utah has a bigger advantage athleticism-wise than they do talent-wise. But when, when the other team is more athletic than you, you have to execute at a higher level than they do to succeed and to compete. And, you know, you don't have the same margin for error that they do because they have makeup speed. They have makeup athleticism. And so in preparation, you know, we have to dot all our I's and, and cross all our T's. We, we have to be on our game. We have to execute all our blitzes, all our coverages, all our pass protection. We have to do it at a higher level than they do because they're more athletic. Do you think Zach Moss is going to have a huge game in this one, or does he not worry you as much? Um, he, he doesn't. He, he's a great back. Um, it, it, he doesn't worry me as much. Be, uh, not anything to do with him, but because of our defense. The strength of our defense is, is our front, and, and that's kind of historically been that way. Um, the thing that has historically kind of given you pause or made you a little nervous about our defense back end. And um, we've come a long way in recent years with the talent and the and the athleticism, um, both of those things that we've had in our back end on our defense. Um, but yeah, that's I've in terms of our defense, I'm always going to be more concerned about getting beat over the top than than having someone stuff it down our throats. This is more of a philosophical question that I wanted to ask ask you. You look at Utah and they are in a good spot, and they're being picked to win the South, and they're getting all sorts of preseason praise. Do you think that, in a way, 
having Utah do well would actually help BYU in that the, the two schools are always going to be compared to each other. So if Utah does well, that in a way forces BYU to step up to the plate, make sure all the stuff that they can control, coaches' salaries, facilities, spending more money on recruiting, that it forces them to be better because Utah is now setting the standard. Do you buy that logic? Yeah, I think there is by association. And if you look back, the fact that Utah and TCU jumped ship and, and abandoned the conference, uh, that kind of forced BYU's hand. And, and that's when BYU were independent. And th- that's a debate. Like whether or not independence is right for BYU is a debate. And I think it is, it's a valid debate. You can make arguments on either side. Um, I am on the opinion that they made the right choice and that in independence right now at this minute is a better alternative for BYU than the Mountain West Conference. Obviously, I think a P5 is a better alternative than independence. Um, but, yeah, if you look at that, that kind of forced their hand. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're a 100-year rivalry. They're tied at the hip. They're always. Well, we're losing you there at the end a little bit, uh, Brian. Uh, we'll let you go. Brian Keel, former BYU linebacker, join us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, and he'll be with us uh, all season long, part of Football Fridays. When we come back, Kyle Gunther talking Utah football. Stay with us. Take The Zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of The Zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. We're joined now by Kyle Gunther, the former Ute. He joins us on the Sprint special guest lines. Lisa and Ian said, get an iPad for $99.99. Visit the local Sprint store near you. Kyle, good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. How are you? Thanks for having me on. No problem. Thanks for coming on. We're talking a little Utes. We're talking a little Cougars. We do a red and blue thing every week. And we are happy to have you here to represent the red. And I am curious, Utah-BYU in an opener. Does it fire it up anymore, or are guys out of their minds for openers because they can't wait to get to a game anyway? I think for the Utes, this fires them up a lot more because a year ago they were clearly overlooking BYU. A year ago the Utes had locked up the Pac-12 South for the first time ever. They were looking forward to Washington. And then this roster at Utah, which is at least half, uh, if not more than that, maybe 60 or 70% of the guys are not from the state of Utah. They don't have this hatred towards BYU necessarily. I mean, if you grow up in Texas, you don't hate BYU. And so the game, I don't think the Utah defense especially, I don't think they expected BYU's offensive line to be as good as they were a year ago. So I feel like the Utes were caught off guard, and they were losing that game until the midway point of the third quarter bad. And I think Utah's been watching that film a lot this offseason, and they want some revenge Man, go back and watch that game from a year ago. Utah's defensive line was in the backfield the entire first half, and they would miss one tackle, or uh, Zach Wilson would get out and, and make a play with his legs. But no, the, the Utah defense, overall, they, they didn't play a good enough game last year for the first three quarters. So I think because it's not only an opener, but because the Utes want some payback for how 
embarrassed they should be for the way they played early on in that game. I, I think that's the motivation for the youth this year. So you were on a team, Kyle, that was expected to do very, very well back in the day, and it obviously it did well. I'm wondering about all this hype, especially now. So much has changed just in a few years with all the social media, and it's impossible to ignore the amount of hype that this team is getting no matter who you are. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage or nothing? I think it's a disadvantage because in the modern era, these guys are glued to their phones. It's like they forgot that there was a previous few thousand generations that were able to do whatever they wanted without the immediate feedback of social media. But I, I think the the attention that the youths are getting is is rightfully so. I think this is the best team that Utah's had since being in the Pac-12. They have depth. They have the best D-line in the conference, the best running back in the conference. Uh, they have the best overall defense in the conference. But uh, that's why the youths are getting this attention. But, no, you can't hide it from guys, but – I've been trying to think, when's the last time the Utes were front runners? Because it sure is hasn't of the Sugar Bowl year. I mean, the Utes barely squeaked that game out against Oregon State. Yeah. I forget, they had a really close one against TCU, I believe. Yep. Uh, and they were not favored against Alabama. Everybody remembers Barry Switzer's famous comments. And I'm not sure he was wrong to say that there was no player at Utah that would have been recruited by Alabama. And they still won that game. Uh, now things have changed, though, and these players are turning down USC to come to Utah. Jordan Wilmore, the freshman running back, just did that. So the youths are not a diamond in the rough anymore. They've got guys that are turning down top-flight Pac-12 schools. Darren Paulo, for example, Utah's tackle, he could have gone to Washington or Oregon or USC. He came to Utah. So these guys expect to win games now. Uh, but as far as Kyle Whittingham's gone, I'm not sure he's ever been a front runner. Yeah, he's having to change his whole approach to the team. Instead of doing the underdog thing, nobody believes us. Now everybody believes in you. So how do you go out and prove that every week? Kyle Gunther joining us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone, talking a little Utah football. Uh, I'm curious how much confidence you have in the offensive line coming together in week one and being good enough to handle the Cougars, or if there's some doubt there and it's a potential, it's a potential problem going into this game. Well, I heard you guys talking earlier, and, and DJ, I think you were talking about what it would take for BYU to win this game, and, and that would be it. It would be BYU's defensive line stepping up and, and early on taking advantage of a Utah group that's, that's been mixed around. Uh, there's no doubt about it that Utah's offensive line is talented. It's maybe the second or third most talented group we've seen in the Pac-12. Uh, the Garrett Bowles, Isaac Asiata year, Sam Tevy, J.J. Dealman, that was the best group ever. Leke Uatafe, that was the best O-line ever at Utah. This group is not quite as talented, but uh, Nick Ford and Orlando Umana would start for just about every team in the conference, uh, as would Darren Paulo at the tackle spot. Now, Bamo Laseni, the JUCO tackle, had an offer to Notre Dame, to Ohio State. And this guy is a Auburn. He is a legit four-star tackle prospect. But he's got a learning curve. The St. Garden City Junior College, where half the D-line is a chain-smoking party animal. No, these guys actually care in the Pac-12. And that's the biggest difference for a guy like Bam is in JUCO, at the junior college level, guys quit in the third and the fourth quarter. They get tired. They don't quit at BYU. Their D-line isn't as good as it's been in the past, but back to your question, it, it's about Kyrus Tonga. This guy could start for any school in the country, and he's as good at D-lineman as BYU's ever had. 
But Utah's offensive line does have to show that they can protect better, and I, I really just think it'll come down to the play calling. Last year's play calling was poor for Utah, and Troy Taylor asked Tyler Huntley and or Jason Shelley to hang in the pocket and make these complicated throws, which they weren't able to do. And especially Jason Shelley. I mean, he never played in a rivalry game, and they asked him to hang in the pocket, and he just wasn't comfortable doing that. So I think Andy Ludwig's play calling will make the offensive line mesh because Andy Ludwig knows the importance of running the football. Every offensive lineman can run block. Now, the elite ones can do both. They can run block and pass block. But I feel like the confidence that I have in Utah's O-line will be dictated mostly by the new coordinator in Andy Ludwig. Okay, and I agree with you on that, and they've made no bones about their desire to run the ball, and I th- obviously I think they're going to be successful because you know, Moss is really good, whether you, you label him the best back in the conference. I think there's somewhat of a debate, but there's no debate that he's an NFL talent and he's really good. With that in mind, how much better with Ludwig is the passing game going to be? Well, the passing game last year was high risk, high reward. Uh, Troy Taylor would ask Tyler Huntley to make these very deep, complicated throws to the sidelines. Uh, He wasn't asking him necessarily to make the intermediate throws. Tyler Huntley was throwing the dink and dunk stuff, the checkdowns, or he was throwing it deep. And Andy Ludwig understands the benefit of the intermediate routes. Those are the tight ends that are dragging 10 to 15 yards across the field. Uh, Those routes are really important. And Troy Taylor and Tyler Huntley never got on the same page last year, whether they were trying to run those plays or not. They weren't done. They weren't getting it done. And so Andy Ludwig also will help the passing game by establishing some play action. If you don't run the ball consistently, your run fakes don't work in the passing game. I swear, Troy Taylor's main play call was quarterback draw. Nothing drives me more insane as a player or as a football fan than watching quarterback draw plays. It's the worst play in football. It's not even a good play if you have Cam Newton, who's 250 pounds. Let alone if you've got a guy who's 190 pounds. And Tyler Huntley, I don't know why you call that play so much. And Tyler Huntley, people call him a runner. He's not a runner. He's a passer with great athleticism. And I think Troy Taylor got that confused. He thought his main goal last year was to run Tyler Huntley. And so I, I think what you'll see from Andy Ludwig is the ability to establish that run game early, the, the power run game, so that when your quarterback fakes that power action in the backfield the linebackers bite they step up and then Tyler Huntley can throw those intermediate routes I swear Tyler Huntley never was able to throw an intermediate route the last couple of years because they never set it up with a proper set of play action Kyle Gunther joining us here do you trust the receivers if this play action game is is really working do you trust the receivers to capitalize on it and make big plays Man, I, when was the last great receiving core at Utah? Maybe it was the Sugar Bowl. So trust is a that's a tricky one because I feel like the receivers' drops were caused a lot by the offense and caused a lot by you know Tyler Huntley and, and the offense overall not knowing you know one week last year they'd throw it 38 times. I think Tyler Huntley threw it 38 times against Washington in September of last year, and then all of a sudden they're running the hell out of the ball against Washington State in the first half. Zach Moss is averaging six yards a carry, and then they go away from that in the second half and try to throw the ball to close out a game. So when a receiver doesn't know whether he's only – you know, if you're only going to catch one bubble screen in the first half, are you really going to give all that effort on your, your, your out routes or your post routes or whatever you're running? You're, you, know, you, you don't feel like you're going to get the football, so you don't try as hard, and then you're surprised when the ball comes that way. So drops are a T 
team stat. It's not just a bad throw or a bad catch. It's not just bad blocking scheme. It's a team stat. But my confidence level is higher than it's been because these are the highest rated set of recruits that the Utes have had in quite some time at the receiving core. Solomon Enos is by far the highest rated recruit the Utes have ever landed. Now, I'm more confident if Britton Covey's back, and I think the Utes are being a little ambiguous about that. I bet he plays against BYU, but he might be a little banged up. Brian Thompson's the wild card because he looks like an NFL receiver, but he's been banged up. And it reminds me a lot of what the Utes went through with Raylan Singleton, where every year he was atop the depth chart and then would get hurt. And injuries happen. You can't blame a guy. But if Brian Thompson's healthy, yes, I am confident in this group. Without Brian Thompson, we'll see. Is Jalen Dixon enough of a deep threat on his own to provide that consistency that they need through the air? We'll see. Tell me if you buy this theory, Kyle, for the Utes. I think that given the fact that they got two games that they should win coming up before the SC game, that it's almost maybe it is even better for them to not play at click on all cylinders and win the game, obviously, but leave a lot of room left for improvement so it sharpens the focus and gets everybody together and gives the coaches something to crack on going forward because they should be able to win the following two games but get them in the right mindset for when they go on the road to the Coliseum. I absolutely agree and I guarantee Kyle Whittingham will do that whether or not they win the first three games 150 to nothing. If there is a hand out of place by a linebacker, Whittingham is going to make the whole team run, and he's going to rip him a new one to try to tell him you know, that, that they have not arrived. And that's the hardest thing to do as a football team when you've won a few games is to not start to think you've got it all figured out. It's, it's also a young person thing. A lot of young guys think they've got it figured out. But, man, you beat somebody up on the football field, and the next week you feel like we're going to do it again and again, and it just doesn't work that way. But I think the youths are going to start 6-0. And I think they are going to win at the Coliseum for the first time in 100 years. But I think the BYU game will be that test because I think the Utes are going to start with a lead in this game. And I think the Utes are going to have a big lead throughout the first half. And then I think you're going to see BYU back. They never quit in these games. I think BYU is going to shock Utah a little bit in the second half. And that's going to be the fuel for that fire that Kyle Whittingham is going to put in these guys because absolutely he's going to rip you apart even after you beat Northern Illinois. I mean, think about how ugly that game was against Northern Illinois last year. And then what happened? The, the Utes went out and lost to a better team in Washington. And then that was kind of the low point of the season, that Washington State loss, and the Utes were able to turn it around a year ago. But to, to this year's point, they have an offensive identity, and they have an ability to win games the right way. They're not going to start to throw the ball in the second half of a game when they have a lead. I just, I'm blown away by some of the things we saw last year from – Troy Taylor, but as far as the confidence goes to beat USC, there's 10 guys on this Utah team that were offered by USC. That was not the case 10 years ago. There was one guy on the team 10 years ago who had an offer to USC. Now it's, just off the top of my head, it's probably Darren Paulo, Orlando Umana, Jordan Wilmore, Lecky Fotu. Uh, Johnson, Jalen Johnson. Blank. Yeah, Jalen Johnson. Yeah, Jalen Johnson, he turned down USC to go to the U. So, the Utes aren't intimidated by USC anymore, where they absolutely were 10 years ago. So, 
You just said a 6-0 and start. You think they're going to beat BYU? You think they're going to win at USC? That includes beating Washington State, a team that's beaten them four in a row over six years, a couple of years they didn't meet there. Yeah, I'm 6-0, and but you didn't go to 7-0. and You think they're going to be in trouble against ASU? Oh, yes! Sweet, Kyle! <laughs> well, I know who I'm talking with. I know who I'm going on with. I'm playing to the audience here. Nice. And, I mean, let, let's face it. Arizona State beat... Utah last year handily. Washington State did not beat Utah handily. The Utes made, I, I think that was the one game where Morgan Scally was disappointed in himself because Utah's defense was elite last year, but they said after that Washington State game, they should not have let Gardner Minshew pick him apart that much. They should have brought more pressure. And to be fair, Morgan Scally and the Utes thought, let's drop eight guys into coverage because we don't think Gardner Minshew can make decisions that well. And he was. And so he did make decisions that well. And so in the second half, they dialed up the pressure. They brought in that fourth man to rush and sometimes even a fifth guy. They started bringing blitzes. And then, you know, pressure got to Gardner Minshew like pressure gets to every great quarterback. I mean, that's how Tom Brady lost two Super Bowls to the Giants. It was just the New York Giants defensive line made Tom Brady get the ball out of his hand quicker. But, no, this year I feel like, you're going to see Zach Moss get 30 carries every week, and so that'll take care of Utah's offensive issues. And I don't think the Utes are going to miss a tackle and give up a 90-yard play again to Washington State. And I just I don't believe that Gage Gabrud at Washington State is going to be as good as, as Gardner Minshew. But, yeah, Arizona State and Eno Benjamin, they are legit. I mean, you guys talked to Eno Benjamin at Pac-12 Media Day. Yeah, That guy is shaped like a fire hydrant. I mean, he is a, he is a really unique player, and uh, Arizona State's got – They've got a good defense, and they've got a good offensive line. So that game's a wild card. I think Arizona State, Washington, and USC are the big wild cards on Utah's schedule. And uh, I think they beat USC because I think USC is going to be imploding by that point. I don't believe they've solved all their issues from a year ago. But, yeah, Arizona State was a tricky team. And uh, in, until the Utes get over that hump, because that was the team, remember, when the Utes first joined the Pac-12, ASU's speed on the edge was giving them a lot of problems. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm picking that as the, the big question mark, and also I'm just trying to appease PK. Way to go. I like it. <laughs> On that note, we'll let you end by sucking up. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we appreciate you guys uh, having us on. Thank you very much. All right. Good to hear your voice, uh, Kyle, again. Yeah, we'll have you Thanks, on again guys. down the line. Appreciate you. There's Kyle Gunther, former Ute, and a reminder – don't take the bus tour at the airport parking lot. Diamond Airport Parking offers covered self-parking, covered valet parking, open valet parking, and free 24-7 car-to-curb shuttle service. Diamond Airport Parking since 1922, just off I-80 and Redwood Road. Park, ride, and save at Diamond Airport Parking. Coming back, what is trending? All the headlines. Stay with us.